This is Alex Massa, and you're listening to the Labrador Leadership Podcast with Bob Nolly. Yes, they are. Live from the RVA, this is the Labrador Leadership Podcast with Dr. Bob Nolly. The program that brings you the leadership skills that can make you the most authentic, approachable leader for the sake of your business, your team, and for you. Now, here's Bob. Ladies and gentlemen, how are you? Welcome to the Labrador Leadership Podcast. Boy, this is episode 29. I hope your day is bright and sunny. I hope you are bright and sunny and things are going well with you. Well, this is one of those big time episodes today. We have John Lee Dumas from Entrepreneur on Fire on the program today. And he has been so supportive of this show and his story is such a great one. Now, he's been in all the big mags like Inc. and Forbes and and Entrepreneur. And you may know his program, which is a great one, and his story. But what I really like about what he has to say for us today is we talk just about leadership. And, you know, I, I don't want to taint your take on the conversation, but I just want you to notice one thing as you listen to him. He starts life as just a normal guy. He's just a person that, you know, lived the childhood that many of us lived, that did the same things, you know, went to the service with after he got out of college and then started a career, just like so many of us did. As he passed each fork in the road, what did he think about? And what's his advice for those folks that are going through those forks in the road now? It is just a very insightful conversation with somebody who has you know, not just been super successful, but somebody that is, you've been very authentic and is very much in touch with where he's been and where he's going. Uh, so without further ado, let's get started. Okay, folks, if this is not the highlight of your day, you need to check for a pulse. Our guest has been cited in big national media, including Inc., Entrepreneur, Forbes, just to name a few. And he hosts the award-winning podcast that reveals the journey of today's best entrepreneurs to over, catch this now, one million listers a month. And his efforts generate huge monthly returns, but he gives back in a big way. He has a free, free, the price is zero, 15-day podcasting course at freepodcastcourse.com. The lobsters would never let me forget it if I didn't ask, are you ready to ignite? <laughs> Bob, I am prepared to light this place on fire. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome John Lee Dumas to the program. John, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Bob. It's a pleasure. Oh, I really appreciate it. And just a little disclaimer on the front end, this program wouldn't be on the air today without the support of John and the other folks on his team. So John, for that and for everything else, thank you very much. Honored to have played a role. I did a little research on uh, on things you've done in the past year, and I, and I saw some pictures of you and Kate traveling in Italy. Let me tell you, that's one of my favorite places in the world. How did you like that? Cinque Terre, which is where we specifically went in Italy, is just a gorgeous piece of property, and I loved every part of it. The traveling through the actual trains through the actual boats and just on foot like these five towns are unbelievable 
there, it's it's a beautiful place. I've traveled through Umbria and Tuscany and as well as Rome. I just love the Italian people. They kind of look at you with the corners of their mouths turned up and they want you to try <laughs> their language. But when they've had enough, they put their hand up and take good care of you. So, uh, so it's a great place. Yeah, I, I just love it. Uh, you're for folks that don't know, you're situated in sunny San Diego, but that's like diagonally across the country from where you started in Maine. Do you, do you still have family there? Do you still go back? All of my family are in Maine, so I definitely make it back there multiple times a year. It, it's a beautiful place, and it's it's not like any other place I've visited in the country. I may not have been uh, traveled well around the world, but let me tell you, I had some family in New Hampshire, and I went up to visit. And we were planning to camp in Maine, and I and I drove up, I guess it was I-95, got to the border of the rest area where they had this lit board where you could push the button of the town you're going to and we were going to bar harbor to start i pushed the button i went holy cow i'm still 10 hours away <laughs> but just the feel of that the evergreens and the coastline it, it is quite the place and uh, it, it's just beautiful there well our tagline is the way life should be for a reason well said and well earned that's for sure <laughs> in, in in one of your presentations at some point you shared with us a uh, a picture of you playing in this big pile of leaves with with a huge grin on your face. So did you have a really happy childhood there? Yeah, it was a great childhood. It was in a very small town in Southern Maine of only about 2,000, 2,500 people. So everybody knew each other. It was a very intimate kind of growing up until 18. I, I did leave for the big city of Providence. Yeah, that is the big town. <laughs> comparatively yeah so <laughs> still pretty small so the reason i ask about that because it's a great picture and it's a great story overall of course but I, I think i think the labrador leadership crowd would like to get your take on leadership for just a few minutes today and the question that always pops up is are leaders born or made so what are your thoughts there is that something you had to earn or did you feel it in your blood from whenever you were playing in the leaves yeah, great question. And I actually think that this question can also be applied equally to entrepreneurship because some people ask questions, are you born an entrepreneur or can you be made into an entrepreneur? And I can say both with leadership and with entrepreneurship, I was made. I wasn't born into either way. I mean, I hear the stories of you know, Tim Ferriss and Gary Vaynerchuk as young kids, like making thousands of dollars doing their wares. Like yeah, yeah. that was not me. I was looking for sports and, and fun and girls in high school. Like that was my focus. I was not looking at business and entrepreneurship and, and I wasn't a born leader either. Like I was again, very happy to, to <clears throat> excuse me, to play my role on whatever sports team I was on and to fill that cog. And, and that was just me. Like I was really happy to be not necessarily a follower, but never stepping up into that leadership role. And I never was a business or entrepreneurship type guy. I was always just more taking things as they come, at taking things as they came. But then I did make that leap into the decision to join the army. And, and that's when things changed on the leadership side. But it still was about, oh, I'd say 30 years of my life before things changed on the entrepreneurship side. Yeah, that's that's... That's the timeline that makes a lot of sense. You know, one of the leadership writers that uh, I enjoy reading, Jay Conger, uh, he answers the question, are leaders born or made? Well, the answer is both. And on the born side, it's 
the kind of support you get in the developmental years, the wonder years, so to speak, and, you know, a, a great childhood and, you know, being on sports teams, or uh, we also talked about on the program, being going through Boy Scouts or things of that nature, when there's a certain amount of responsibility, that kind of sets the the core habits up for you. And then when you move forward and to being made, whether it be in corporate America or in entrepreneurship, uh, that's when you really are looking for stretch goals and achievements that really will uh, make you the leader that you'll end up being in the end. And uh, I totally agree with both of that, with that argument about how it is both leaderships are both leaders are both born and made because I've seen both ends and I've seen it for the entrepreneurship side as well, that entrepreneurs are both born and made. So I think that should be a huge relief to people that might be listening and saying to themselves, well, I wasn't a born leader or a born entrepreneur. Well, neither was I, neither was many others. But because of our life experiences and because of decisions that we made, you know, we were made into one of those things or both of those things. And that keeps the whole theme of leadership going through not just your entrepreneurial successes or your corporate job or your your service in the military, but all the key relationships of your life, your family, your tribe, all the way down to the, to the most important of relationships. Totally. Uh, in the service, and thank you for your service. I'm glad I had the opportunity to say that with all the Labrador Leadership fans yeah. here. What was, uh, what was the nature of your exposure to leadership there? So in my time in the service, I was in the U.S. Army. So I did a four-year stint at Providence College in ROTC. And then I graduated in 2002 and was immediately commissioned as a second lieutenant. And again, 2002, I know a lot of the listeners can remember exactly where they were on Absolutely. September 11th, 2001. Absolutely which actually made my ROTC class the first class to be commissioned post 9-11. So that was a very intense time for us <clears throat> for a number of reasons because we really knew that we were going to be in the fray, so to speak. We knew that our four years of service were going to be serious. So it was really at that time when I was uh, commissioned as a second lieutenant that I made the decision that I was going to learn my craft, that I was going to be the leader that I needed to be for the sakes of the lives of my soldiers. And, and that's a really key distinction because, you know, it had it been in a time of peace, which I was expecting, you know, as everybody was, because it was a pretty peaceful time for a number of years. I was really, really focused on just taking in what leadership qualities I could get, but then just seeing how it was going to apply. But then when that happened, I said, you know, this is what I owe to my soldiers and I'm going to go forward with that. And so I, really took that charge. And immediately when I got to my first duty station and I was awarded my first platoon of 16 men and four tanks, because I was an armored platoon leader, I was in the fray, Bob. Wow. Oh, that's just outstanding. You know, uh, Frank Gustafson was just on the show and his podcast, Lead Like Marine. He talks about the nature of, uh, of leadership in the military service, but he also talks about difficulties folks have coming out of the service and during that transition, you came out and made a run through law school and decided it wasn't for you, right? Yeah, I had a really tough transition out of the military. I mean, you can picture me at 26. I had just finished my four years of active duty, so I was excited to get out into the civilian world. I was free for the first time. But then I really looked at myself and I was like, wow, I'm actually free for the first time in my life. I mean, the first 18 years of your life you know, are pretty structured. And then there was college, 
from 18 to 22. Then there was Army from 22 to 26. So I was like, man, this is so weird not having structure. I can do anything. What is it that I'm going to choose to do? And it was tough. It was a tough decision because I didn't have any passion calling me in any direction. So I kind of found myself following in my father's footsteps and going to law school and hating it. And so I quit after just one semester. It just was not for me. And I knew it from day one, but I sucked it up for a semester. But by the end of the semester, I still felt the same way. And I was like, I need to have the courage to quit this because I can't resign my life just because I made this one decision to a life that I know is not meant for me, which is the the life of law. So I did make that really hard decision, disappointed a lot of people, including my father, but I knew in my heart of hearts, it was the right move. Thanks for sharing that. That's, that's, that's very personal. I'm sure I, I know the mental models that we have growing up. You know, I, I wrote in my about page about, you know, I, I grew up in the June and Ward Cleaver household. That's what it looked like. And uh, when, when you got out of high school, you're supposed to go to college. And when you got out of college, you're supposed to get married and get a job just like that. I mean, I grew up in the Mad Men years, you know, the oh, ABC yeah. show. So when you make the decision to, I'm, I'm done with law school. I mean, that is a most courageous decision in those times. And I can only imagine the parental response to that, with all due respect to everybody that, that you received. And that, that would have been a tough time. But I would say applause for figuring it out after one semester, not waiting two years and sitting for the bar and then going, oh, this isn't for me then. Yeah, and it's even three years, which is even more intense, especially like at that age, because I mean, each year is so precious. And that is one thing that I kind of like to leave people with in that aspect of my life is it takes courage to quit something. When you know in your, in your guts, in your intuition that you, you need to quit this, but there's so many external forces that you know and so many uncomfortable and awkward situations you're going to be in if you do, but you still know you need to do it. It takes courage. And a lot of people don't buckle down and courageously quit, and then they suffer a lifetime for it. Was there a particular moment when you were in the corporate world that you just you know, sat up and turned, turned your head and said, this isn't for me? <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I had a quite an interesting ride in corp- the corporate world, you know, and specifically in corporate finance with John Hancock, because I came in just ecstatic about my decision of leaving law school. You know, I left law school. I went to, to India for four months to travel and just to kind of regain my footing and, and give some space to that whole time. And then I came back and I was immediately into, all right, let's get, in, let's get into a career now. And so when I got accepted for my job at John Hancock, I was ecstatic and I came in full of energy and that energy was there for a full year. Sure, and it's I mean, my first gig. It's your first gig. I'm here. <clears throat> I'm here. I'm I've arrived. You know, I have this nice cubicle overlooking the city skyline of Boston. I have a great apartment with my buddies and we're having fun on the weekends. Like it was a great experience through and through. I was learning a lot. You know, I was always interested in finance. So there was a lot of things that went well and it went great for a year. And I rose to the top of the company within my division in that time. And it was doing some great things, but then the financial crash happens. And honestly, it wouldn't have affected my trajectory that much. In fact, it might've helped it a little bit because it really just thinned out the ranks. In fact, I came into work one day and by the time I left, they had let go 70% of the people at yep. John, in my division yep. at John Hancock. And I was like, wow, that's intense. And then they gave us this big speech and they said, you know, if you're here, it's because we want you here. And then I had to look around and that was when, Bob, I looked around and said, I don't want to be here anymore. I know that they chose me 
as one of the few to be here because of my track record, but I don't want to be here. Like I don't want to be where my boss is in 10 years. Like that's not a trajectory I want to be on. So that same day I handed in my notice. Applause for that. You know, I went through the same thing in commercial banking through the merger mania of uh, perhaps a decade prior to that. And every time, you know, the bank survived, we all just kind of ducked our heads and went, well, we survived. We lived to, you know, work another year. But I, I kind of looked at other people that said, I'm out of here. I'm going. Yeah. This isn't the place for me. I can't, I can't live and work like that. Well, even though it was a, a brief career in the corporate world, uh, as you look backwards, is there any leader in your life, in the, in the military, in the career that, that makes you say, I, I really liked working for that guy or with that guy or woman. I mean, yeah, you know, the, my, I was an internal uh, wholesaler within John Hancock. So like I was the in, inside guy, my outside guy who was like, you know, who we aspire to be basically, that was like the next step in the totem pole was an all-star. You know, he was a family man. He was like 45 years old. He was such a hard worker. He was always on the road you know, was making high six figures a year. We're talking like six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars a year, which to me at the time and still now, you know, was just like an immense and massive amount of money. I'm just like, I just couldn't even believe what you would do with that amount of money. And, you know, here I was like making like, you know, seventy five, eighty thousand dollars and and throw some commissions on top of that. You know, to me that was 10X what I was doing. And, and I looked up to him. He was a great, great leader. He was a great boss to me. Like he handled me well. He trained me well. And I always respected him for that. And, you know, Mac McGarity, I'll never forget that guy's name. And he was just a great person to work for. Mac, there's a shout out for you. I hope you're listening. <laughs> we'll find you one way or the other. <laughs> so uh, what, would, what would be your advice today to a newly minted, fresh MBA or anybody coming out of grad school? that was starting their post-school career, what would you tell them? I would say this, be an apprentice. Like really look in your heart of hearts and your gut and your intuition and say, who do I want to become? Like, who do I want to be? And then go find that person who is at where you want to be and just ask them, say, hey, can I be apprenticed by you? Can I be mentored by you? And I'm not just looking for a one-way exchange of value here. Like, I want to exchange value. I want this to be mutually beneficial. What can I do to learn from you? And that's exactly what I did, again, at 32 years old, uh, having learned a lot between that and, and 32, between birth and 32 years old, knowing that that was a great path to go. I just went... <laughs> <clears throat> excuse me, hat in hand to a great podcast uh, mentor, invested in myself and learned so much. And I just was an apprentice. And we've lost that term throughout the generations. And I think it's such an important and valuable phrase. Being an apprentice is, is so critical as far as learning from those who have come before you, learning from those who are at right now where you want to be, gaining the experience, the knowledge, the wisdom that's so critical on so many levels. And the relationships, connections, and exposure is all a benefit as well. And guess what? They might say no, but if you were bold and you got out there and you asked, it's very likely that they're going to be able to say something along the lines of, hey, Bob, like I actually can't take you on right now because I have a full plate or I no longer mentor a one-on-one. But here's two names of who I know would be great people to mentor you. And that would be a great place for anybody to start their journey. 
That's the great. That's the greatest account of the conversation I've ever heard. That's the kind of conversations people need to be prepared to have as they get started on the career. You know, yeah. and, and even as you become successful and move a few years out, I, I see there's a lot of reticence to folks to take on a coach or a mentor to find somebody. You know, I'm thinking it could be a bit ego that you know it's a sign of weakness if I'm asking for help, but you know, it's really not. It, it could be a game changer for you. Absolutely. I think fortune favors the bold and we just need to be bold if we really want to get out there and grasp for greatness. Uh, a little bit about your business. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a quote here that cool. one of your colleagues, somebody you know very well said about you. And uh, I'd just like to get your reaction to this and uh, say more about how you got to this point. Here's what they said. John Lee Dumas has the sharpest marketing mind that I know of today. How does that hit you? Um, that hits me as that was Michael O'Neill from Solopreneur Hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, I couldn't protect him with so much. Okay. Uh, well, you know, no, he's he's a very gracious individual and a great guy. And I really appreciate hearing that because to be honest with you, I, I just look back a mere two and a half years ago and I was like, man, I am so clueless in this entrepreneurship world. You know, I don't really know what, you know, ying from yang is here. I don't really understand the whole process of what building a business means. But then what did I do, Bob? I went and I interviewed a person a day who had done it successfully. And I learned so much from so many different people in so many different industries. And I think one thing that I did really well, and I think this is the nature of an interview-based show, is I was having the conversation. So I was intimately involved in the conversation. So I was absorbing all of this stuff at a very high level and at a very saturated rate. And it all sunk in. And the things that made sense to me really sunk in. So before long, you know, I become this kind of Swiss army knife of an entrepreneur who had a lot of information um, that I had at my fingertips. And so when all these different situations and different industries and different niches popped up, I was able to say, boom, I know what would work for you there. And so Michael and I will become, you know, really good friends you know, we have these conversations all the time. And that's kind of one thing that he does share pretty often and openly. He says, John, like I am continuously amazed at how quick and sharp your marketing mind is. And it's a huge compliment. It's something that I'm very proud of um, because I do believe um, that, you know, Michael O'Neill is not just blowing hot wind my way. <laughs> and um, it's an honor for to have people of his level and others who have said similar things to say that. So I'm just, it's, it's an honor. Well, you know, it's one thing to, uh, when you pivot in the entrepreneurial world and not look at it as a failure, but a chance to pivot and improve. But it's even more when you have that ability to kind of read the horizon and see this is what's coming. You yeah. guys, Michael and you, along with uh, Nick Unsworth, had the opportunity to do an event at Creative Live. I'm pretty impressed with what they've got going up there in SFO with that whole Creative Live effort. And the uh, you know your, your program that you did on creating a podcast with the two of them was a great piece of work. It was quite the production as far as what Creative Live is doing out there. I mean, we got out there the day before. We did a whole pre-walkthrough. I mean, their team is on point, and it was a great production from beginning to end. I was really impressed and honored to be a part of it. And, you know, I have to say that myself, Nick, Michael O'Neill, and Greg Hickman, you know, we really put together um, a good day of content and just presented from the heart. And I think it was a, a lot of fun. and It was a blast. Greg Hickman, my personal apologies for excluding you on that list there. I apologize for that. Uh, John Lee Dumas, this will be the highlight of the day. 
Thank you so much for your contributions to the Labrador Leadership Group. And thanks for everything you've done for me personally. I I can't thank you enough. Folks. Oops, sorry. I was just going to say it was a pleasure. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And thanks for being here. Uh, Folks, you've been listening to Labrador Leadership Podcast. We'll link up in the show notes and we'll be right back. Thanks for listening to the Labrador Leadership Podcast. For the sake of all the special people in your life that deserve you to be the best leader you can be. Connect with us on our website at labradorleadership.com, on Facebook at Labrador Leadership, and on Twitter at Lab Leadership. Now, here's a final thought from Bob. Many, many thanks to John Lee Dumas for being on the program. You can find John at entrepreneuronfire.com. I've linked that up in the show notes at labradorleadership.com slash 29. You can find John on Twitter at John Lee Dumas and on Facebook as well. And there are links there in the show notes. Everyone have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.